you take your Bibles and turn to the Gospel of John, chapter 6. We've been looking at this, uh, really what is uh, one of the longest chapters in in the Bible. And so far we have uh, gone through John 6, uh, verse 1 to uh, 49. So what we've considered... Um, just so you're aware, if you're joining us for uh, the first time, um, we've been going and considering this miraculous sign of Jesus, uh, the feeding of the 5,000, and we saw how the uh, people who received that sign misinterpreted the sign. That was verses 1 to 26. And then we saw Jesus start to give a clarification of what the sign was supposed to point to and what it meant. The sign was meant to point them, sinners, you and me, to Jesus as the only means of eternal life and satisfaction, really, for the soul. As the true manna of God, Jesus came to satisfy the soul of every fallen sinner. He came to satisfy your soul. Every fallen sinner that comes to him in repentant faith will be fully satisfied in Jesus. And so those who believe in Jesus not only enjoy the possession of eternal life now, but Jesus made the point that they are also promised eternal life in the future, because there is a day coming when Christ will raise from the dead those who have died in him. That's good news. And Jesus says, this is the will of God. This is the work of God, that in Jesus alone is God's redemptive plan fulfilled. And so Jesus then reiterates and summarizes all of that which he talked about and the sign in verse 47 to 48 when he says to them again, Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes has, has, present tense, eternal life. I am the bread of life, Jesus says. So let's pick up now and let's read in verse 49 through verse 58. Your fathers ate the manna in the wilderness and they died. This is the bread that comes down from heaven so that one may eat of it and not die. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread that I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. The Jews then disputed among themselves, saying, How can this man give us his flesh to eat? So Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. 
Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. For my flesh is true food, and my blood is true drink. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me, and I in him. As the living Father sent me, and I live because of the Father, so whoever feeds on me, he also will live because of me. This is the bread that came down from heaven, not like the bread the fathers ate and died. Whoever feeds on this bread will live forever. Jesus said these things in the synagogue as he taught at Capernaum. Amen. That is the reading of God's word. Let's pray. Our gracious God and Father, we ask for your blessing, Holy Spirit. We ask for your instruction. Lord Jesus, we ask that you would be with us as we look into this word and to hear the words that you spoke here to these people. And we know that these words are as true for us today as it was for them. Lord, we know that we are ignorant in so many ways and our understanding is faulty and we become easily uh, confused or led astray by certain teachings and we know that the issue is not with the unclarity of your word, but it really is with our own hearts and our inability to understand. And so we pray that as you promised the helper to come to us and to give us understanding that that even now, Holy Spirit, you would be with us to give us an understanding of these truths and to help us to see clearly what our Lord is communicating to us about him and about salvation in his name. So we ask for your blessing now. In the name of Christ, our Savior, amen. So what you'll see in these verses, especially beginning in verse 49, is that Jesus moves in this whole discourse on the bread of life. He really starts to move in verse 49 to using a metaphor to further clarify for them what he has been communicating to them. As he's calling himself the bread of life, you'll see in these verses we read, it's rather striking. I don't know if it is to you, but it's striking it's striking to me, and it was certainly striking to all of those who heard, because he extends this metaphor significantly through these verses, and as we read, and you can see there, you start to, he starts to use these terms, um, eat his flesh, drink his blood, feed on his, on his flesh, to feed on him, and it really dominates the whole section, and in verse 51, 53, 54, for example, uh, we read it, but Jesus says, the bread that I will give for the life of the world is my flesh, and unless, that's going to be important, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life. And so, Put yourself, I mean, you've read this gospel many, many times, probably, and maybe you've never read the gospel and you're just hearing this for the first time and you can more kind of relate to what these people were hearing, but 
just put yourself in their shoes. Like Jesus had never spoken this before. They, they had never heard him say this. They had never read it in, in a passage. They had never read it in a scroll. It's the first time Jesus brings this out to these people who, have, who are learning about him, but have never heard him say this. And very strikingly, uh, if you just take those words, that's, that's, wow, that's pretty intense. Eat my flesh, drink my blood, feed on me. Like you could imagine as they're hearing it that it is really, really striking to them. And, and so what Jesus, I, I think one of the reasons that Jesus does this is he is communicating to them, and we'll see what he means by, by those things, but he is in a striking way, he's communicating these truths to him. And in a very real sense, as I read this, I started to think of his use of this metaphor and and think about the parables that Jesus told in the past. And, and I think in some way this metaphor kind of acts as the parables. So you might remember in Matthew 13, um, verses 10 to 16, where Jesus begins to give all of these parables about the kingdom of heaven, um, his disciples came to him and, and they were asking him, why are you teaching them in parables? Like, why, why don't you just speak more more clearly or more direct but you're putting them in these parables and maybe they're not understanding what you're saying and so Jesus said to them in verse 10 to 16 he, he said he taught them in parables and the reason is so that the prophecy of Isaiah would be fulfilled and the prophecy of Isaiah said that they would hear but not understand, they would see but not never but never perceive. And then Isaiah and then Jesus also says, but to those who did understand and who did turn and to him for healing and, and did believe and receive, he says, the reason you disciples understand the parables is because it was granted to you by the Father for you to believe and understand what the parables pointed to, right? And so here, in using this, these metaphors, very striking ones, I think it's similar because after hearing these metaphors, before they were grumbling, they were troubled, they didn't understand also what he was saying, but here it really turns the hearts of people away from him. And the people moved from grumbling, just grumbling, to actually disputing, which means that they started to argue very sharply over what Jesus was saying, and they now settled into their refusal to come to him, and it just grew even stronger. And the reason is because they did not understand it. They're disturbed and offended by it. And similar to what Jesus told the disciples about his parables, he tells them later on, we'll see next week in verse, uh, in, I think it's verse 64, he says, It is the Spirit who gives life. The flesh is no help at all. The words that I spoke, that I have spoken to you, are spirit and life. But there are some of you who do not believe. This is why I told you that no one can come to me unless what? Unless it is granted him by the Father. In other words, Jesus is saying he gave these metaphors, he gave this teaching, 
And it is not something wrong with my teaching. What is wrong and they do not believe is because God the Father, the Holy Spirit, has not yet caused them to be born again to understand what it is he is saying. The prophecy of Isaiah is fulfilled. They hear but do not understand. They see but never perceive. And it's not that Jesus has been unclear prior to this. He's been very clear. But now this metaphor strengthens it and ultimately people abandon Jesus because of it. And so the two questions I think that I would like to answer this morning for us in verses 49 to 58, if you're taking notes, the first question is basic, is simple. It's this. What does Jesus mean by this figurative language? What is Jesus saying in this metaphor? It's a very simple question. And along the lines of that question, which directly follows, once you understand that, what he means by it, you'll understand what it is they are rejecting. What does Jesus mean by this language? Got to understand that. And then you'll realize what it is they are rejecting. And this is where it comes home to, to us. Because my prayer for us as we go through this is, we will see what Jesus is saying. And then the question is, do you believe what Jesus is saying and have you come to him for salvation or are you still rejecting it? Are you still fighting what he's saying and refusing to come to Jesus? Those are the only two options here, okay? So let's start with what is, what is, what is all this figurative eating and drinking in flesh and so on? What does it mean? So, So this is significant because in verse 53, like I said, the unless in that verse is very important. And here's why it's important to know. Because Jesus says, truly, truly, I say to you, unless, this is a condition, this is necessary. If you don't do this, what he says is true of you. Okay, truly, truly, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, he says, you have no life in you. So, so it's huge to understand this. Eat his flesh and drink his blood. If you don't do that, Jesus says, you have no life in you. And now I just want you to picture as Jesus is teaching this, he is teaching this to people that are right before him. They are living, they are breathing, they are hearing, they are seeing. They are people just like me and you. And Jesus is talking to them, and he's saying, unless you eat my flesh and drink my blood, you have no life in you. 
Now, when they hear that, they are probably thinking like many of us would think, I feel very alive. I'm here, I see you, I feel very alive. I'm alive, I'm living, clearly, Jesus, I'm here. And so, of course, Jesus is not talking about their physical life, but when Jesus looks at the world and he sees you and me and he sees this people, do not forget and never, never forget that Jesus sees the world and sinners apart from him as dead. This is how Jesus looks at you and me apart from him. He doesn't see a people that are alive and vibrant and living. But when he looks at the world, he sees people that are dead in their trespasses and sins, a people that have no life in them. And so when you turn on the news at home and you watch, like Dean prayed about, Russia and Ukraine, and you see the wars, and you see the battles, and you see everything taking, and it seems like these people are living and all, and the world is alive. In the eyes of Christ, in the eyes of God, this is a dead world that has fallen in sin. And so Jesus says, it is necessary for you to eat the flesh of the Son of Man and to drink his blood. And if you don't do that, he says, you have no life in you. So what does he mean by that then, if it's that important? And so I think to answer that question, let me first say what it doesn't mean. Simply put, Jesus is not referring here to a literal eating and feeding of his flesh or a literal drinking of his blood. I mean, just flat out, Jesus, Jesus is not a cannibal Okay? He's not a cannibalistic guy. He's not talking about literally eating and drinking his body. It's, it's absurd. And it would have been absurd even to those people that were listening to it, the Jewish people. It would have been offensive and revolting to them because even in the law of God, according to Leviticus chapter 17, verses 10 to 14, even according to God's law, the eating of meat with blood in it is a violation of that law, let alone eating a man and drinking his blood. So it is not literal, and it's offensive. It would be offensive to them if that were what Jesus is teaching, and it would be offensive to you and me, would it not? That'd be totally repulsive if Jesus really meant literally to eat his body and drink his blood. And so that also includes then, because what has happened in the, in, throughout the history of the church, you, you might have this teaching where uh, it's a teaching, especially within Roman Catholicism, that, that talks about transubstantiation. And this is to say that the bread that we're going to have later and the, the wine that we're going to drink later, that it literally turns into the body and the blood of Christ when it is blessed. And then you literally consume the body and the blood of Christ. And so they will look at this passage, and what they'll do is they will try to take this passage and use it to support that doctrine and that teaching of transubstantiation. And there are a lot of reasons to reject that teaching, and we cannot go through all of them, but let me just give you a few reasons. For one reason, why the Lord is not referring to the 
Lord's table here specifically is that is that they would they would not even have understood that what Jesus is talking about here that he's talking about communion primarily because why Jesus hadn't even gone to the cross to die yet Jesus hadn't even instituted the Lord's table yet so if Jesus is here referring to the Lord's table it would have been it would have been meaningless to them because he hadn't even instituted it okay that's that's one reason secondly and this is where it really starts to become problematic if if you're going to say this is about the Lord's table if Jesus is talking about the Lord's table here then he would be adding something in addition to faith as a necessary requirement for salvation. This is why I said that word unless is so important because Jesus says unless unless you eat of the flesh of the son of man and drink his blood you have no life in you. So the reason that's problematic is is manifold but what you find is the whole testimony of Jesus and the scriptures is that salvation comes by what? By faith alone in Jesus Christ, by believing in him. And so what this teaching will do is it will insert a bodily act in between salvation and of the soul of man. Now it's not just by faith and believing in Jesus, but now it is by, by receiving the Lord's table is also included alongside alongside faith. And of course, that goes against, like I said, the whole testimony of Scripture, even going back to Genesis, where Abraham was justified before God by his faith, but it also goes against the whole tenor of the, the Gospel of John in, 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 and this section. In fact, if you look back in John chapter 6 here, verse 29, when they ask Jesus, they say, well, okay, Jesus, what is the work of God that you want us to be doing? Do you remember that question? And Jesus said to them, this is the work of God. And what does he say the work of God is? To believe in him. This is the work of God, to believe in him. And then verse 35, he says, whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. And then verse 40, for this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in him should have eternal life. And then in verse 64, Jesus is responding to their grumbling. He again ties their response and lack of life from the Spirit to their unbelief. He he ties their unbelief not to their not eating his flesh and drinking his blood, but his not, they're not believing. And then the whole gospel of John says in chapter 20, verse 31, it is written so that you may what? Believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. In no sense is eating or the Lord's table or communion put in the mix. It's all about believing in Jesus Christ. There's a lot of passages. Now, another reason, though, is this. 
if you still want to argue that it is the Lord's table that Jesus is talking about here, there are some consequences to that that are really, really bad if you add it with faith and repentance. And the consequence is this, is if that's the case, then you would be shutting out of heaven those who never partook of the Lord's table. Are you willing to say that the thief on the cross that repented and believed on the Lord Jesus Christ has no life in him? Are you willing to make that conclusion that when he repented, because he did not come off the cross and receive the Lord's table, that he has no life in him? I don't think so. And what about all those people who have never been at the Lord's table and received communion, but yet came to know Jesus as their Savior? Maybe they repented. There are people that repent on their deathbed. There's a whole ministry that goes, goes to hospitals and shares the gospel with people who are dying, who repent of their sin, and they never have the opportunity, let alone to take the Lord's table, but even to be baptized and and. Are you willing to say that they're not saved because they didn't receive communion? So you see the consequences of this. And, and even that, what about infants that die? What, what about all of those children that die in the wombs of their mother? Millions are killed through abortion and also through sickness. What about all of those children that die that never receive the Lord's table? Are we willing to say that none of them are redeemed because they didn't eat of the flesh and drink the blood of Jesus? Obviously not. And so this kind of interpretation really goes outside the bounds of what Jesus is talking about here. Because the means of salvation that God has appointed is that you believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and in believing and placing your faith in Christ and his, in his work on the cross, you will be saved. Because the flip side is also true. If you're saved by eating and drinking and doing that outward act, then you know what else is true? And this is sad. But there will be thousands and thousands of people who receive the bread and the wine at the Lord's table who are godless and have no true faith. And if that's the means of salvation alone, then you will have heaven filled with godless people. Because even today as we speak, there are people that come to receive the Lord's table that do not know Christ at all. There are people that come up to take the bread and they take the wine and they drink thinking that it somehow gives them salvation, but they do not know the bread of life and they drink in an unworthy manner. They do not discern, the scripture says, the bread and the wine. And they drink and eat thinking that somehow that makes them a believer. When in reality, it doesn't. It doesn't save you. It doesn't redeem you. It doesn't wash you. The only thing that redeems you and washes you and makes you right before God is by believing in what Jesus Christ has done for you. And in believing, you eat and drink because you what? 
because you believe. So, it's not about the Lord's table. Now, in one sense, it, it, the Lord's table it pictures this broader framework of Jesus' saving work. And in one sense, what Jesus is referring to here is that broader framework. And that especially comes out in verse 51. And, and I really think that this is the key to tying it together, especially the end of verse 51. Because he, um, he, he says, well, actually, just listen to verse 49, but specifically the end of verse 51. He's, he says that whoever believes in him has eternal life. He is the bread of life. And then he says, your fathers, and he's referring to those Jewish fathers of the Old Testament, the fathers of Judaism. He says they ate manna in the wilderness. They physically ate manna in the wilderness, and they died. Then he says this, meaning, meaning himself, this is the bread that comes down from heaven, and the reason this bread comes down from heaven is so that one may eat of it and not die. So there's a contrast, right? They died, but one's going to eat of this bread, me, and not die. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And here's the key. And the bread that I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. What is he talking about there? What is, what is this bread, his flesh that he gives for the life of the world? I think Jesus is making reference there to the sacrifice of his own body, which he offered up on the cross when he died as a substitute for sinners. He says, the bread I will give, not have given or do give, so Jesus has something future in his mind. The bread I will give, it has not been given yet. So he's not saying, here I am before you. I'm giving myself to you right now. I've come, here I am. I give myself to you. He's saying, the bread I will give to you, this future act, is the act of offering himself up, his body, up to die on the cross for sinners. Voluntarily. He wasn't forced to do it. No one made Jesus go to the cross to die. Jesus willingly offers himself as an atonement for man's sin, as a substitute for sinners to bear their sin and their iniquity upon himself. This is what Jesus is, this is, what Jesus is telling them. The bread that I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. Why do we need a Savior to do that? Because the wages of sin is death. The wages of your sin and my sin, just as it was for Adam and Eve and all of humanity, is death. When God looks at us, he looks at us 
as those who have earned our judgment. And you need someone, because without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sin. Someone needs to take that curse for you, and that's why Jesus came. I'm going to read you a lot of verses here. Matthew 20, 28 says, As the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. 1 Peter 3.18 For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God. Being put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the spirit. 1 Peter 2.24 he himself bore our sins in his body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed. Isaiah 53, 4-6 Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds, we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Galatians 3.13, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree. And one final one. There's a lot more. Romans 3, 21 to 26. This is so good. Such good news. But now, the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law. Although the law and the prophets bear witness to it, the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. For there is no distinction, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. This was to show God's righteousness because in his divine forbearance he had passed over former sins. It was to show his righteousness at the present time so that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. Faith in Jesus. Jesus came to give his life in your place to make atonement for your sin. And so what does it mean for Jesus to do that and for you to eat and to drink and to feed on him? It means that you that you appropriate that work of Christ by faith. 
It means that you receive Christ's sacrifice, which takes place when a man believes on Christ crucified for salvation. That's what eating and drinking and feeding, it, it conveys the reception of Christ's sacrifice, which takes place when a man believes on Christ crucified for salvation. Do you believe? If you believe, then you have eaten, drinking, and fed on Christ. And so they didn't understand what Jesus was saying. And they refused to believe it, and many do today. I remember in college, was my undergrad at Fresno State, I was in philosophy, and I had one professor who I would share the gospel with. And I would walk with her after class, and I'd talk to her about the gospel, and went into her office, and we sat down, and you know, I told her about Christ and his sacrifice and everything, and, and she basically looked at me, and she said, why should I believe that someone needs to die for my sin? And she refused to believe. She, she, she thought in her mind she didn't need that. She didn't want that. She, she had no need for a savior. Why should, someone, why should I believe that someone should need to shed their blood for my sin? So you know what was the great stumbling block for her was the cross. The great stumbling block for her was the cross. I'm good enough. I'm well enough. I'm kind enough. I do enough good works. I don't need, I don't need a savior. And this is what these people thought. And so here's the thing. No one can eat and drink and feed on Christ for you. You must believe on the Lord Jesus Christ personally. And this is true for all of I mean, we don't have tons of children, but for you that are growing up in the faith, and maybe you're in the Sunday school class right now, but you do understand that no one can eat and drink and feed on Christ. Your parents cannot do that for you. You must appropriate Christ by faith. You must believe on him. You don't become saved by osmosis. And you don't become saved because your parents raised you in a Christian church. You cannot feed on Christ through someone else. You must feed on him on your own and continually come to him because that's what faith does. Faith keeps looking to Jesus. J.C. Ryle, I think we're on the same page, Dean. You're reading J.C. Ryle, me too. He said, the food of this world for which so many take thought will perish in the using and not food and not feed our souls. He only that eats of the bread that came down from heaven shall live forever. 
And so these Jews, it's a stumbling block. And so verse 52 says, the Jews disputed among themselves. Here's their rejection. How can this man give us his flesh to eat? They just don't, they don't get it. How can this man give us his flesh to eat? So they rejected the cross. They rejected the gospel. And so Jesus says to them, verse 53, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, that is, believe in him, you have no life in you. So without coming to him, he reiterates, a day is coming, you have no life, there is a day of judgment coming. But here's what I want to leave you and I with this morning. You, can, you do not have to live a dead life and reject the life that Jesus gives through himself. Because Jesus goes on to say, again, verse 54, Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood, whoever believes in me, has eternal life. If you believe and come to Jesus, you have eternal life now, beloved. And it, because it's eternal, you cannot lose it. He will sustain you. He will do his work in you and apply his work on the cross to you. And that work is complete. You are forgiven, your sins are paid for, past, present, and future. That means when you sit here this morning, if you have believed on Jesus, I want to exhort you to say, stop looking at your past failures. Stop looking at what happened before and your sin, but come freshly to Christ because you now have eternal life. And he says, secondly, he will raise you on the last day. So you're presently in Christ and in the future when your body is laid in the ground and you die in this life, Jesus says you will be raised again. You have a hope that is secure in Christ. And thirdly, if you believe in him, Jesus says, if you feed on his flesh and drink his blood, believe in him, he abides, you abide in him, and he abides in you. He will always be there like the vine in the branches. You will live for his glory, and you will truly know what it is to be alive. I tell you, I've never been more alive than when I came to know Christ as my Savior. You see, the world thinks they're alive, but they are in bondage, and they are enslaved to sin. Do you remember what it was like to be in sin? You were living for yourself, for your flesh. You were enslaved in it. But when you come to Christ, you actually, you know what it is to be alive now because you see clearly. And so, beloved, 
That's what the Lord's table is going to point us to. Eternal life, resurrection hope, Christ's sustaining grace. They rejected it when they rejected Jesus in the synagogue, but we, beloved, have believed, and those things are ours in him. Is that good news? It's good news, and so let us now prepare to come to the Lord's table, and I want to remind you that this is for those who have believed, and if there is sin you're holding on to, confess it, Ask the Lord to forgive you. Rejoice in his offering. You do not need to be perfect to come to the Lord's table. You just need to be saved, right? Don't need to be perfect. You just need to be saved. And so when you're saved, it's because you believe. So let us confess our sin. Ask the Lord to bless it to our bodies as it points us to him. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you so much for your sacrifice, and we thank you that you are the bread of life, uh, that the bread that you gave for the life of the world is your flesh. You, uh, you came and you took on flesh, and then you willingly gave yourself up on account of our sin to pay the price for our sin, to take our judgment, uh, to take what we deserved to um, make atonement for our sins and to wash us thoroughly. And, and when you gathered with that last supper with your disciples, this is what you were reminding them of when you gave them the bread and broke it and told them that this is my body that is broken for you. And then you gave them the wine and you said, this is my blood that is poured out for you, the new covenant in your blood. And Lord, we come to the Lord's table because we know and believe what these elements point us to. And we don't believe that we are literally eating your body and drinking your blood, but we, but we have appropriated these truths by faith in you. And we rejoice that we are saved by faith in you and your work on our behalf. And so may you bless the bread that we eat, and may you bless the juice that we drink, and may we eat of it in a worthy fashion and give you all of the glory and the praise that you deserve for the work that you have done. Lord Jesus, thank you. It's in your name we pray. Amen.